If you spent any time in Cincinnati, you probably know the hulking white building with a tower on top that rises just west of I-75. In a city of architectural gems, the fortress-like Crosley Building in Cincinnati's Camp Washington neighborhood stands out for its size and its neglect. What might not be apparent gazing at the building is how much history making took place there. This podcast is the story of how a now empty building helped change the world and how the fate of the neighborhood around it is tied up in its construction, its boom years, its decline, and efforts to resurrect it. This is Crosley at the Crossroads, how a Cincinnati landmark mirrors the fortunes of the city. I'm Nick Swartzell. Present-day Camp Washington is a big mixture of everything that makes Cincinnati what it is. Apartments and single-family homes with long-tenured residents, newly rehabbed spaces with new faces moving in, new coffee shops and gallery spaces popping up, long-established industry and lingering vacant buildings. But what will the neighborhood's future be, and what role will the enormous Crosley Building play in it? TWG Vice President for Tax Credit Development Ryan Kelly talks about the developer's current efforts to redevelop the Crosley Building into apartments and gallery space a huge undertaking with big potential, but also a lot of risk. Ryan, uh, thanks for making some time for us here. And uh, I wanted to just launch right in and ask you uh, how you how TWG got involved in this, this idea of renovating the Crosley building. Why that building? Why Cincinnati? Yeah, so TWG has been in business for 15 years. Uh, so we got our start in Indiana working on affordable housing transactions, really old school buildings for the most part. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's cut our eye four or five years ago when we bought the property with the intent of kind of a substantial rehab. So our plan is always to be able to do affordable housing here, revitalize the area, obviously with, you know, seeing the, the presence of that building coming up through the interstate and highway, you know, it's got a prominent force behind it and obviously history that you guys know about. So. Uh, we thought our expertise on the affordable housing side could kind of pull everything together and make it happen and revitalize it, uh, you know, the neighborhood and everything else around it. So, um, yeah, so that, that's our intent, intent is to kind of work through the historic preservation as well uh, and obviously, you know, get the benefit of, of getting affordable units in the area. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about that. How many units are you uh, kind of projecting? I know that maybe shifts a little bit, but what are you thinking in terms of the number of uh, units in there? Yeah, right now it's shifting a little bit, but just a little over 200 units is the plan. And that will be a mix of studios, ones, twos, and a handful of threes. So our intent is it's going to be a family project. Uh, and then we'll hopefully have some commercial space in there as well that will have an art district that kind of fits in with the neighborhood. And so that's always a big part of our projects. We're trying to give it its own image, you know, uh, lean on the history of the project and obviously, you know, revitalize it with a historic presence as well. So it will rent uh, all the units will be under 60% AMI as planned. And those will roughly run, you know, $900 to $1,200 a month with current AMIs. Obviously, that's subject to change over time. Uh, but right now, that's a, a pretty good price point with where rental properties are going. Yeah. Um, talk to me about how you finance a project like this. Uh, you know, there's maybe multiple streams going on here, but but run me through how that works. Yeah, very tricky. So you're trying to get the big source of, you know, affordable housing tax credits or low-income housing tax credits. There's two type of credits. The 9% credit is typically lower rents, lower set-asides. This one is the plan is to use the 4% low-income housing tax credit. So all that really means it's a little bit higher income, so you can make a little bit more money, and it's a different tenant base altogether. So uh, that's what this project is pr- projected upon. This is one of the trickiest projects. So you've got several layers in the capital stack. You've got 
uh, the plan is federal historic credits, state historic credits, uh, and some incentives from the city from pilots or tax abatements. And so it's really going to take everything to make this thing work. It may be a some combination of ARPA dollars. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, what I envision, there's probably six to seven different financing sources to get a deal like this to work. And it's roughly 100 to $110 million project overall. So pretty substantial investment in the community. Wow. Um, another f- source of funding I wanted to just talk a little bit about is uh, remediation funds that you got. Do, are you uh, knowledgeable about those? And can you talk about those? Yeah. So that's that's a part of the equation as well, is we're acquiring the Crosley building and the Castings building uh, together. So we'll package it together as one project. But yes, essentially there's about $4 million uh, separate between the two projects for remediation of those. So that's really step one is trying to try to get the remediation done. Our plan is to have that uh, the remediation done by end of 2023. So that's really step one. And then from there on, we'll hopefully kind of do the full rehab. But that's trying to get a no further action letter, try to get the remediation done with, you know, ACMs and different things like that. Sure. Uh, talk to me in, you know, just real basic terms about what kind of work needs to be done on the like remediation of the building. I know there's some pretty, you know, it's heavy industry. There were some environmental challenges there maybe. Uh, can you talk about those? Yeah, obviously, uh, lead-based paint and uh, asbestos is always the big one that comes up in these old buildings. So a lot of that's, um, you know, working with environmental specialists, trying to work through that and the contractors to do that. But uh, the, the final scope's to be determined based upon some of the initial uh, additional testing we need to do. But those funds are really allotted as a bucket to make sure we can do that. So we have a hypothetical scope of work, but ultimately it's going to be testing as we go, making sure we're meeting it properly, hiring our folks to do that. So um but yeah so talk to me about uh what kind of impact will do you think this is going to have on camp washington obviously you know um you know twg is based in indiana but you, you must have looked at the neighborhood uh kind of scoped it out what did you see uh that was promising what, what do you think uh this building could do to improve the neighborhood yeah i think the first thing we do is look at properties that we think you know are an eyesore and so obviously that's that's this one uh obviously at some point it was not. So we're trying to bring it back to where it should be and revitalize it. So that's kind of step one. And then we've got kind of buy-in from the neighborhood of what things they would like to see. Uh, Again, trying to provide affordable housing to people that need it is also a big piece. So I think what we see with affordable housing projects is it kind of spurs development. So not only does it fix this property and revitalize that, it's the things that go on after that. And and there's, you know, tons of studies that have been proven that, that, you know, once people see an investment of a hundred million dollars to an eyesore, things typically kind of get turned around and more investment comes. Sure. Can you talk about uh, that that buy-in? Can you talk about what kind of community engagement TWG did and is doing, um, you know, talking to people who live around this building and people who've been in the neighborhood for a while? Yeah, so that you're right. We're, when we're a nationwide company out of Indianapolis, one of the hardest things we find ourselves is kind of boots on the ground. So we've worked with a couple consultants to make sure we're in tune with the needs and wants of the community. So we've been attending the Camp Washington meetings to get their input. Again, that's kind of where the the art program came about uh, as well as through that. So I think it's, you know, gaining input from that, tweaking the things you could. I mean, at the end of the day, the inside of the units don't change. But I think the financing source drives that quite a bit, but making sure the things we can impact and do and have flexibility that we we're able to do that. That typically happens more on new construction sites. You get a flat piece of land, you can do 100 things with it. Obviously, here the landscape's kind of there. We're just trying to figure out the best way to make it presentable, and maintain the exteriors, and you know all that stuff. But also, what the what types of those community spaces are important. So that's why the art piece 
really came into play that that seemed to be a big emphasis through those discussions uh, to maintain that presence bar in that district. Yeah. And what did you hear from people about the affordable housing piece? Uh, you know, that that's a piece that um, sometimes people are really, really excited about and, and, and say they need in other places, especially in Cincinnati. Recently, we've seen some kind of pushback, I think, maybe just reactionary against the, the, the name affordable housing. Uh, did, did What kind of experience or what kind of like feedback did you get from people about that? Yeah, it's always negative and positive, right? So I think, yeah, affordable housing has a stigma to that. And so there's, I think what people need to understand is there's different pieces of that. So there may be project-based vouchers or low income that sometimes require more services and different things. So I think people put them all in one bucket. This is a homeless housing. This is a 9% deal. This is a 4% deal. They're all, uh, you know, really different projects uh, for the most part, require different services, require different services, different tenant base and all of those. And so I think you're right, it has a stigma. So I think it's just getting out in front of that and say, all right, here's the income levels. Like on this property, and household's probably going to make between thirty-five dollars and $60,000 uh, a year in that household. So it's it's working folks that you and I know that are kind of affording to live here. Um, and so it's to us, it's a positive impact. You know, housing is the, the first piece to make an impact in people's lives. Um, and maybe it's a stepping stone to home ownership and everything. So um, the program's been around since 1986. So it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's proven itself out that it makes huge impacts. Obviously, right now, with interest rates going up, we're going to see more and more renters that need affordable places to live. And so we see it as a huge benefit to the community. Talk to me about uh, sort of working with working in Cincinnati versus other cities. Are there are there um, positives, negatives to that? Is it is it a different place to develop than other cities or, or not so much? Yeah, it's actually different across the country. So I think you alluded to this before. What's the stigma of affordable housing? The term we use in our industry quite a bit is NIMBY, so not my backyard scenarios. I know the new term is yes, in my backyard. So places that are really, you know, booming and rents are exploding. Obviously, the need for affordable housing, you know, is even more of a preference. So our goal is always work municipalities and cities that want affordable housing. And I think Cincinnati is one of those. So again, this just checked a lot of boxes for us as they're putting some money and funds. Uh, obviously, the, the federal government has done the same thing. Uh, but it's it's for me as a developer, it's nice to, for someone to want the product we're building. Sometimes we're fighting it, convincing people like, hey, you may not know you need affordable housing, but it's it's prevalent and they don't want it there. And that's the frustrating part you get. It's like, you don't want to be in those environments. But again, sometimes that's the places that need it most. The really high income areas don't seem to want it, but they also need it because they've got service employees like everybody else does. And so it's it's kind of a catch-22 is if it's not in your backyard, where is it going to be? It, it needs to be here. And again, the facts have been proven that it actually improves the area than, than it does, you know, harms it. So, Sure. Um, does TWG, I, I believe you have other projects in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, so we've got a couple. Uh, we have a, so we also do acquisition rehab. So we bought an existing building that was already operating as a hotel and made a major renovation there. Uh, and then we've got a couple of new construction projects just north. So we do new construction, uh, adaptive reuse, um, uh, acquisition rehab, and then we have a market rate division as well uh, that we kind of split duties a little bit. Uh, so those are more of the high end housing, but it's probably you know five or six projects a year. So we don't convolute one another. What we've actually seen quite a bit is really getting mixed income, is getting some market rate units ain't affordable in the same building, uh, which we love because again, it. it provides that stepping stone of once you're over income and you've bettered yourself, you still can live in the apartment you you kind of made home. So, hmm, I see. 
talk to me about the historic piece a little bit. You know, these historic tax credits, what, what did you have to do to um, sort of put that application together? Was there some research into the history of the building and uh, its significance? Yes, absolutely. So it all goes to the National Park Service is the federal piece of that. And so they obviously have, have a reviewer and there's a process to go through. So there's a lot of elements of that are somewhat vague on preserving the historic significance. Um, and so Windows is always a big part of that. It's trying to mirror kind of the existing, what was there originally and some of that stuff. So it's not a fine equation of you have to do X, Y, and Z. It's really looking at the historic significance of the building, analyzing that, and then trying to you know replicate the best you can or preserve what's there. So and obviously maintaining brick facades and things like that that have been in existence in good quality. You know, we intend to do that and that's part of the equation, but honestly, it's kind of a negotiation through that process. And secondly, the state historic is a little unique to Ohio is they have a separate process. So they piggyback off that a little bit, but there's different rounds of applications. So we, we are in application stage right now for the state historic credits. We intend to get that award in December of this year. Um, that, that helps, you know, feed that. So, um, again, without those dollars, the historic, you know, preservation just doesn't happen. Meanwhile, those who remember Camp Washington from decades past long for its sense of community. As we interviewed past resident Bob Story outside of his former home, he showed us pictures of the house where he lived and reminisced about the community. When was this house built, do you know? I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure when it was built. Um, I'm sure if you looked it up through the property value, you'd be able to. Now that picture there, was taken sometime in the 70s because there I am with my long flowing locks. Wow, yeah. That Looking was, stylish. Yeah, that was uh, Aunt Louise with her back to you and my mother and my ex-wife. She was a Camp Washington girl. Did you meet here in the, in the neighborhood, I guess? We met her here in the neighborhood. Wow. Yep. And then let's go through some of these. Here, here's the front yard. Is that you? That's my brother, Jim. That's your brother. Yeah, okay. that was the one that actually owned the house. And as you can see, it had the old wrought iron uh, fencing at that time. Yeah, it looks nice. And there's the Himmelsbach house I was talking about. Yeah, like right there where the, where the well, driveway the, is the now. Yeah. Yeah, you got some nice flowers, nice yard. Yeah, Mom always kept it nice. Yeah. As you can see, it had that, I call it picket railing here in the, in the porch. Yeah, yeah, it looks real nice. And then this is a... That's a like tomato the, plant that was grown here in the side yard. Oh, yeah. You grew tomatoes? Or actually, yeah. Is that the side? Yeah, it's the side yard because there's a Carsley building there. Yeah, we've got tomatoes in our yard on uh, down on Elam, actually. Yeah. We, like, love growing tomatoes. And that's a little family picture of my two girls Aww. sitting there with all of us. Same, same thing. That's Katrina and Heather. Very cute. More pictures of... Uh, More pictures of the kids at their birthday yeah. party here. Wow. Same birthday party sitting in the front yard. <laughs> so this is right here? That's right here. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and so that's where you got you some others you want to... Oh, I yeah. got some other ones here. Now, as you can see, this is the side yard where mom had all her flowers. There's the tomato plants that she wow. had. That's yeah, the well, side entrance. Now, there's one of me on the porch and Jim there. That was probably the same time he was showing his legs off. <laughs> now, this is the one where... Uh, American Ad had just taken over the lower part of the Crosley building. 
and if I'm not mistaken, that is a 66 vehicle. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a cool station wagon. Is that, what is that, like an Edsel, maybe? Or it was a, a Ford of some kind. That was kind. a Ford, okay, yeah. yeah. And these are two of the inside. That was part of us from high school. But wow. These are the room right here, this living room, right? That door is what's boarded up. Wow. Can I, would you uh, hold it Go down ahead. with your finger so I can take a picture? I just, I don't want it to blow away. This was the downstairs after we had remodeled. Wow. This is the upstairs kitchen after it had been remodeled. Oh, I like this wallpaper a lot. Yeah. Huh. That was actually a paneling. Oh, it's paneling. Huh. Yeah, that oh, was a wow. paneling back in the day. It actually um, wasn't much thicker than paneling, period, but it was flower printed. Oh, now cool. this is, and notice the same thing? Yeah. That's upstairs, this is downstairs. Oh, so you had a very, very consistent design aesthetic, it looks like. Yeah, mom was very emphatic about, yes, we're gonna do this and that's it. <laughs> okay, there's that same living room, wallpaper, everything, the two girls sitting wow. there. And now these are the ones I really wanted you to see. We talked about Valley View Park. This was the, one of the bars in the area, and I can't remember which one it was, but they sponsored a baseball team down at Valley View Park. That is now part of Interstate 75. Wow. So you uh, you you mentioned this hole here that's yeah. in between <laughs> us here. There's a story here, I, I gather. I don't know what the oh, story yeah. is yet, Big but I want to hear it. Big story. Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Let's, what is the story of this hole here? 1958, Arbor Day. I brought a tree home from school. I wanted to plant it. Mom said, no, we're not planting that tree. We ain't got any place to plant it. And I'm going to say it just like Dad said. You can edit it out, do whatever. He looked at Mom and said, let him plant the damn thing. It'll die anyway. Oh. We brought it out here. We planted it right there in that spot. I'm surprised that that hole was sunk in, but it is right there. Now, <laughs> that tree took off. Dude, it took off like, oh, my God, like the mighty oak it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, my aunt, my mom's aunt, Lived in Addison, Ohio. She had good-sized property, and I forget exactly how many acres, but she had a nice piece of property. They called Aunt Luella. Can Bob bring this tree down? Yeah, not a problem. We dug that tree up. We took it down to Aunt Luella's. Well, when US 50 decided it wanted to widen right there by Monsanto plant, yeah, yeah, she took him to court. You're not cutting Bob's tree down. Amazing. You'll move Bob's tree. Amazing. She won it. Probably. 2001, 2002, it got struck by lightning. Oh, my God. This tree gets around. There's, this tree has had, had some experiences. Yeah, so they finally had to cut it now. Oh, man. But Aunt Luella had passed by then, but that tree got struck by lightning, and that was its demise. <laughs> but I, it was so funny. When I saw that, I come here and parked the car, and I walked over, and I looked, and I went, oh, my God, <laughs> there's the hole where the tree was. <laughs> that Amazing. was so funny, though. And Mom looked at Dad when they were digging this up. Mom looked at Dad and said, I told you the damn thing ain't going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that was That's funny. incredible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Bob, like, thank you so much for, like, 
all these memories and all this like um, perspective on the neighborhood is like mm -hmm. really valuable and like something that like, I'm glad that we're recording it and preserving it. Is there anything else that comes to mind when we think about like, so the, the nature of this podcast is all about sort of this building and its presence in the neighborhood and what it meant for the neighborhood, but also like what Camp Washington means and meant, you know, what do you like? One of the things me, I want oh, people yeah. to remember about Camp Washington was the loyalty of everyone in the neighborhood. Everyone took pride in what they had. We weren't a rich community, but we had richness in friendship, richness in helping one another. If you needed help, you didn't have to ask. Everybody knew you needed help. If you need something, man, you got it. They'd help yeah. you out in a heartbeat. It yeah. got through the neighborhood. I can remember people used to have the roundhouse down here for the railroad, and people would come up. They'd be hungry. They needed something. If mom had something, she always said, half a loaf is better than no loaf. If I've got a half a plate, they get a half a plate. Store right here used to be Bally's Cafe. They could go in there, get something to eat. Ben's, Franz's, all those people would help somebody. It was just one of these communities where if you needed help, man, I've gone into different places down there and say, hey, look, I'm a little short on cash this week, but I need some groceries. Couldn't do it to Kroger's because Kroger's couldn't. But if you're a little short on cash and you went in to say Chow's, yeah, not a problem. When are you going to pay? Well, I can pay, you know, it's, it's Tuesday. I can pay you Friday when I get paid. Take what you want. Yeah. He'd write yeah. it down on a piece of paper. Now, if you didn't come in on Friday, <laughs> don't come in on Saturday and ask him for right. something else. Right, right, right. But that's the way this neighborhood was. It was just a tight-knit, rich-in-friendship community. You needed something, everybody would help. And they were glad to help. Because they knew if they needed it, it was coming back to them a hundredfold. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the way community should be. It, yeah. it should, and that's what surprises me now. Where I live right now, I know two people. Yeah. There's 1,200 residents in my community. I know two. The fate of the Crosley Building is still up in the air as TWG works out its plans for rehabilitation. In the meantime, it sits empty, as does Bob Story's former house next door. But houses around Camp Washington have been selling, even as fears about a real estate slowdown and recession mount. The neighborhood appears to be at the start of a rebound, but the future is very much unwritten. This podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Nick Swartzell. Editor, recording engineer, and assistant producer is Josh Elstro. Original music is by Josh Elstro and Leo Mercia. This is a project created by Action Tank USA, a nonprofit partnering with artists to research and promote public policy solutions at the local government level. Action Tank proudly presents this project in partnership with our marketing partner, WVXU, Cincinnati's local NPR affiliate. This project was made possible with the generous support of the Greater Cincinnati Foundation and the W.E. Smith Foundation.